Does everybody know what time it is? Oh, <laughs> Please welcome your host, Jeff the Tool Man Nelson. Hey, it's good to be here this morning on Tool Time. Welcome to Tool Time. I'm here with my special uh, sidekick, uh, Steve Dare to Be Dull Williams. Thanks, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. It's good to have you here with us today, Steve. Steve, you got your microphone? I don't need it today. You don't need it. I'm feeling strong. You're feeling strong? I'm feeling strong. I saw it here just a minute ago, but uh, anyway, Steve today is going to be taking part in his favorite game called Name That Wood. Pretty exciting, huh? All right. Steve claims that he can tell a piece of wood simply by smelling it. I know, ladies, it's hard to believe, but he is a married man. I know, I know. He's off the market. He's off the market. All right. All right, Steve. Here comes our very first piece of wood. Name that wood. Well, that's hickory, Jeff. That is impressive, Steve. Very good. A piece of hickory. I don't know if it actually is. If anybody really knows, we're just... We're kind of winging it here, so hang with us, okay? But uh, very good, Steve. Very, very good. Impressive, impressive, impressive. Like I say, it's uh, it's just such a shit. You know, the ladies out here are you know, just heartbroke that you're married. Happily, I understand, I right? Ha- you get that all the time. I'm sure you do. All right, here comes piece of wood number two. I don't know. I don't know. This one's a little tougher, Steve. Uh, all right, name that wood. Well, Jeff, I think that's cedar. Well, not so close oh, wait there. A minute, wait a minute, let me smell that again. Oh, that's Western Red Cedar. Very good, Steve. Very good. Very good. You uh, you almost missed that one, though. I don't know what the problem was there. Well, I'm suffering from a little bit of a cold. A little bit of a cold. Okay, that explains it. Well, I think this next one is particularly going to get you. Yeah, you're going to want to take a good... Good whiff of this one, buddy. A really good whiff of this one. I think I've got you. I'm up for the challenge. I hope you are, brother. <sighs> okay, that one's uh, that one's all ready to go there. All right. Boom. Yes. Take another whiff of that one, baby. I don't know. I don't know. It's the, it might be from the Pacific Southwest, uh, Northwest. I mean, uh, <laughs> but you know, it kind of smells like fungus to me. Fungus. Yeah, all right. That's. Enough of that, Steve. All right, Steve, let's get on with the show here this morning, would you? What are we going to do today? Get on with the show here this morning. This morning, Steve, we are finally, we've been here at Tool Time for the last few weeks. All we've been doing is talking about building. We haven't actually started to build anything. So this week, I'm going to start to build that dream house that I've been talking about each and every week here at Tool Time. It's about time. All he's talking about is building all the time. We haven't built anything. It's about time you start Talk, talk, talk. No more talk. It is time to build. I've got my pieces of wood. It's going to be a very big dream house, as you can see. And um, Start to get these together here. i got my hammer. It's, it's time. Let's start putting this together. Steve, I'm busy here. Can't you see I'm busy? I can't get, seem to get these pieces of wood to stay together, but yeah. give, give me a minute yeah. here. You might need my leave. Steve, am I the tool man? You are the tool I'm man. I'm the tool man. Well, so You might need one of these. You think you're better at this than me? Go ahead. Try it. Go ahead. Do it. I can't. Well, exactly. Because you got to have the hammer, but you also have to have the nail, so I need that hammer. You need the hammer and the nail? Well, yeah. You want my hammer? I want your hammer. You want my hammer? You won't give me your hammer. You won't give me your hammer. <laughs> 
All right, smarty pants. Let's see if you can do any better than I can there. I can because now I have the hammer and the nail, and you need them both. You need them both. You gotta have them both. What if I have just one? You can't have just one. You gotta. Well, give me the nail. Let's see if that works. See, doesn't work any better. You gotta have them both. Gotta have them both. Great hammer. Things, great things go together. Hammer and nail. Great things go together. Great things go together. Like, like me and you. Like you and me. Ah, aren't you glad I keep you around, Steve? More than you'll ever know. More than you'll ever know. <laughs> Would you give Steve a nice round of applause for helping us out here today on Tool Time? Got the phone call this week. We will be receiving our Golden Globe for uh, excellence in comedy writing here at... Uh, at Tool Time, but uh, welcome once again to our Tool Time section. This last uh, couple of weeks, we're doing a sermon series that's looking at um, some of the tools that God gives us in order to kind of live in this uh, in this world. The first week, we uh, looked at the toolbox, you know, a place where all of the tools can be in, in one spot. And we talked about that tool that God gives us called community, that we aren't called to have every tool in the toolkit. And that we aren't called to try to do everything on our own. That there's a place called community, called the church, where we come together in community. And we said, you know, we aren't going to try to live this life uh, on our own. That this call, this discipleship is not uh, not a do-it-yourself kind of project. And so we talked about that. Last week, we got out the, uh, the instruction manual. And we talked about the importance of uh, instructions, but not just knowing the instruction manual, but uh, doing what the instruction manual says, right? Um, I'm one of those guys who has a drawer full of instruction manuals, but doesn't often read them before I set out to do something. And so we talked about the importance of not just knowing God's Word, but but doing God's Word. So we talked about those things, obedience and discipline. Well, this week we're talking about two things that go really good together. Some things have to go together, like hammer and nail. You can't have one without the other. Some things just need to go together, like peanut butter and jelly, right? You gotta have them, have them both, like bacon and eggs, right? You gotta have them both together, like cookies and milk, right? Cookie, milk is always better with cookies in it, isn't it? Always better with cookies in. How about Ginger Rogers and Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire? Gotta somebody tell Jeannie who that is after the service, okay? Somebody tell Jeannie who that is after the service, like uh, like uh, Bob Monjo and Bad Jokes, right? They just go together. If you don't know that Bob has bad jokes, find him after the service. He'd be happy to be happy to share one. Happy to share one with you, like the like the Green Bay Packers and championships, right? Right? Yeah, right? So that, that's happening here today. Some things have to, uh, have to go, go together. You can't have one without the other. For the follower of Jesus, the, there are tools that we need to have at our disposal. And they really go together. Today we're talking about two tools. Two things that are at our disposal that work so well together. Those two things are hope and joy. Hope and joy. Having one without the other is like having a hammer without a nail. Hope and joy. Hope. Hope. 
This is perhaps the single most defining characteristic of a follower of Jesus. is hope. We are to be the people of hope. We are to be prisoners, captive of, the, of hope. Hope within us. Hear what um, uh, the book of uh, um, Hebrews has to say, say about hope. Hope, it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Hope. To wish for something with the expectation that it's actually going to happen. That it's actually possible. People of hope are to be people who know that there is more than going on than what is immediately seen. There's a story about two boys. Two boys who were identical twins. The only thing different between these two boys is that one boy was the world's worst optimist, the world's worst pessimist. And the other boy, he was the world's best optimist. Other than that, they were identical twins, and these parents couldn't figure out how they could have these two kids who were identical in every way except in their outlook on life. One was always a pessimist. One was always an optimist. So they wanted to do this test to see what, what was that that made them different. So they took this boy who was the world's worst pessimist, and they took him down to a room that was a little boy's like dream come true. It was decked out. It had everything in it. It had every single toy imaginable. It had a Thomas the Tank Engine that goes uh, on its own. It had um, G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. Remember that? That was a big thing when I was a kid. Remember that, Bill? Right? Did you get one of those? Yeah, right? I mean, it had all that had balloons, it had candy, it had a rocking horse. I mean, this was this little boy's dream come true. They walked him down to that room, they put him in it, they said, little boy, we'll be back in an hour, you have fun. Then they took the boy who was the world's best optimist, and they took him down to a room where there was nothing in it but a big pile of horse manure. That's all that was in the room. I know! And they put the boy in the room and they said, little boy... We'll see you in an hour. Well, they came back and this is not really happened, okay? So this is a joke, all right? You know that, all right? So they go back to the room where the little boy was that was in this room that was a little boy's dream come true. And for that whole hour, that little boy sat in the middle of that room with his arms folded. Hadn't touched a thing. They said, little boy, why didn't you rock on that horse? Well, I was afraid I was going to fall off of it and hurt my arm. Little boy, why didn't you eat the candy? Well, I was afraid that if I ate the candy, I'd get a tummy ache and I'd lose my appetite. Little boy, why didn't you play with those balloons? I was afraid I was going to pop one of those balloons and I would hurt myself or scare myself. So I just sat here with my arms folded in the middle of this room. Well, then they went down to the other room where there was nothing in it but that little boy who was the optimist and that pile of horse manure. And there he was, knee deep in the middle of it. He was throwing it all over on the walls. He had the biggest smile on his face. And they said, little boy, what are you doing? He said, with all this horse manure in here, there better be a pony in here somewhere. (laughs) That's hope. That's hope. That's what hope looks like. Because sometimes you're knee deep in it. Wading through it, not sure that there's anything else in life but that, and here you are 
looking for the pony. That's what hope is. Despite days that only feel, feel full of brokenness and hardship and suffering, the people of hope know that there is a pony in there somewhere. And they hang on until they find it. We Christians know that the Scripture tells us that our hope is actually born in hardship. Hope is actually born in hardship. Hear what Paul says in his letter to the, to the Romans. He says that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering. Man, that's, that is not the world we live in. We rejoice in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Hope gets us through. Hope. The belief that there's a pony in there somewhere is enough some days to keep you going when everything else within you says, Stop. Quit. It's not worth it. I can tell you that as a pastor, when visiting someone who is in the hospital, if they've got hope, it makes all the difference in the world. If they've given up hope, hope of ever recovering, hope of ever being well, hope of ever um, a life not defined by their current um, state, well, then it's usually just a matter of time. Hope makes all the difference in the world. As a pastor, I can see that being the um, defining factor time and time again when a couple comes to me and they're struggling in their marriage as long as they've got hope. Hope that there's a better tomorrow. Hope that there's another chance. If one of the two come in and they've given up hope, there's not much else we can do for them. Hope. Holding on to hope. And at the end of life, when you watch people who are ready to die in hope, trusting that God is in the midst of it, not necessarily knowing what it's going to look like, but trusting that God is in it with them. Boy, I want to go like that. With hope. Hope within me. Hope is the tool at our disposal. It's the defining factor of who we are as people of faith. And I don't know about you, but this world we live in today needs people of hope. Because the headlines tell us that all hope is about left southeast Michigan. Unemployment is on the rise. Housing costs, home values are on the fall. Our public schools are a mess. Give up. Move out. Find somewhere else to go. If there was ever a time when Southeast Michigan, when Redford, when Detroit, when this community need people of hope, this is the time. 
People who believe that despite all the mess, there is still a pony in here somewhere, and I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to stay invested until that day comes. Be people of hope, Paul says. There's a story in Luke's Gospel about what hope looks like. It says, now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Then Jesus said, who touched me? When all deny it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. Jesus said, someone touched me, for I noticed the power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she touched him and how she had immediately been healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith, your hope has made you well. Go in peace. We don't know her name. All we know about her is that she didn't give up hope. Twelve years defined by a condition, checked with every doctor under the sun, nothing would help her. But she never gave up hope. She held on to hope. In the first century world, the condition of bleeding like that would have separated this woman from community. She was all alone. She was isolated. The world had given up on her. Her church had given up on her. Her family had given up on her. The doctors had given up on her. But that day in the crowd when Jesus was coming through, she had hope in one last thing that God had not given up on her. And as long as she had that hope, she was willing to reach out and try to grab a hold of that healing that was passing her by. Hope is like that. It gives you the courage to reach out and grab a hold of it when everything else tells you the story is already over. You and me, we're to be the face of hope to the world. We are the ones who are not supposed to give up, who keep on believing, who keep on trying, who don't give up on God, on each other, on this world around us. You see, when you have the eyes of hope, you see the world in a way that the rest of the world does not see it. But then comes that other tool. We said it goes together with something. And hope isn't complete without some joy. Hope and joy. Hope and joy connected together. If you read the Apostle Paul's writing, the word that comes out more than any other word that he talks about is joy. For Paul, the whole experience of the life of faith can be defined by joy. I'm just going to read you some of the things Paul says about joy quickly. They won't come up on the screen, but I just want you to hear how many times he talks about joy. Paul says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. 
Paul says we have joy in the hope that comes from God, but we also rejoice in our suffering. We have joy in our suffering. Paul says be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Paul says I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you, great joy in you. And I know that your trouble knows no bounds, but either does your joy. Paul says one of the fruits of the life of faith is joy. Hear this. When we talk about joy, I think we immediately think we're talking about being happy. Joy and happiness aren't the same thing. God doesn't promise us happiness. Nowhere in Scripture do I say God saying to us, follow me and I'll make you happy. God says, follow me, and I'll give you joy. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. At Christmas, we don't sing, happiness to the world, the Lord is come. We sing, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Joy. Joy is not to be confused with happiness. Sure, they're related, they're probably cousins, but they are not identical twins. You see, happiness has its root in the word happenstance. In order to be happy, something needs to be happening. In order for something to make me happy, the right thing needs to be happening in the world. My happiness depends on what is happening. Certain things need to be happening in order to be happy. My job needs to be going well in order to be happy. My marriage needs to be going a certain way in order to be happy. I need to be the ideal weight in order to be happy. Things need to be happening in order to be happy. Joy is something different Joy is rooted in hope, which means our joy comes from what God has already made happen. From what God has already made happen. Joy is deeper. Joy is deeper than happiness. Barbara Brown Taylor says this about joy. She says the only condition for joy is the presence of God. Joy happens when God is present and people know it, which means it can erupt in a depressed economy, in the middle of a war, or in an intensive care unit. Frederick Buechner says, God created us in joy and created us for joy. And he says, even when we feel most spiritually bankrupt and deserted, God's mark is still deep within us. He says, we have God's joy in our blood. Have you ever met someone whose faith is joyless? They do all the right things. They go through all the right motions. But they got no joy. They got no joy. That coming to church and following Christ has seemed to rob them of their joy. Dan Kinneman in his book, Unchristian, says the number one reason a younger generation is no longer interested in the church is because they've run into too many joyless Christians. People who simply have no joy. We are to have hope and joy. Hope and joy.
hope. The belief that there is a pony in there somewhere. And joy. Deeper than happiness. Coming from this knowledge of what God has already done for us. 